This is Security All In, and this is Sam Curry. I'm uh, the Chief Security Officer at Cyber Reason. And the purpose of Security All In is to talk to people in security. We talk mostly to CISOs, but not always. We're really trying to get to when did they go all in on security or when did security go all in on them? We sometimes play with themes around risk. It seems like an obvious thing to do, seeing as that's the general lingua franca that we can align best with the business uh, in security. Or uh, sometimes poker. I'm a big fan of poker and games that involve uh, a lot of human skill and chance. So uh, we'll try and weave some of that in today if we get the opportunity. But I'm joined today by my longtime friend, Nick Vigier. And uh, Nick, I rarely pronounce your last name. Hopefully I did justice to it. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sam. And you're in one of the rare positions to actually pronounce it perfectly. It helps that I grew up speaking French. So yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and you have a, a Francophone background as well, I think, right? Even, even though you were born in Connecticut, I think, right? I do, yeah. I, uh, I have my three passports of uh, French, Canadian, and American, and my parents are both from France, so French ah. is a first language. Prior to my getting my clearance, of course, I had French, American, and I'm sorry, Canadian, American, and British. So yes, welcome to the three passport club, uh, although I just <laughs> left it. Okay, so uh, thanks for being on the show. I, I really appreciate it. It's great to have a chance to talk. Yeah, my pleasure. Now, when I first met you, you were CSO, CISO for DigitalOcean, and I know you've held CIO as a position as well. And today, you know, from what I understand with Coldfire, you're a, quote, CXO advisor. Can you maybe share with us what a CXO advisor does? Yeah. Ostensibly, it's to work with leadership teams of Coldfire's customers on their security strategy. So not just working with CISOs, but working with the CEOs, CFOs, COOs, CIOs, you know, anybody with a C and an O in their title to help understand what security means to their business beyond just trying to sell them security products. And so leveraging that CIO background as well as the CISO experience, or rather the CISO experience and the CIO, uh, the CIO background to give them some great insights on how they can leverage the security program. So I, I started this session by talking about risk as a lingua franca, and um, I sometimes will say the biggest problem in security is not finding the bad guys or even knowing what to do. Given our, our druthers and our ability to do things, we, we can do that. The biggest problem seems to be alignment with the business. So it's interesting that you bring security context to the peers of CISOs in some cases. Is what I've said making, is it resonating with you? Does in your advisorship, is, are you called in to help with that bridging function or am I off base with respect to what you do? No, that's completely right. And I think generally speaking, you know, part of the goal is to not just talk about risk, but help the business make intelligent and informed decisions, right? And that's what risk is about. It's about making informed decisions. And so helping the business understand what the risks mean and helping them translate that into the value that they can derive. So the, the analogy I've used in the past is, you know, uh, just doing it based on risk is saying, hey, put all your money into a savings account and earn a, you know, a hot 1% right now. The alternative is to inform the business about the risks and teach them about how to leverage that money and make a 4,000% return instead of being aware of the risks they're taking. The CISO that can talk about the latter is obviously going to be much more aligned to the business. I like the way you put it there. The Nobody wants to be earning the returns that are that are below inflation by having their many money in that painfully slow account. Does it resonate? Does it help? I mean, obviously, your job is to help the security 
become part of the business. But do you find that that it takes in most cases? And if so, how long does it take for? Does it change the relationship between the CSO and the business? It's a work in progress. And I think it always will be. It's a matter of finding those receptive parties that want to really understand that, both on the CISO side as well as on the executive leadership side. Some people are so steeped in the old view of looking at things that they, you know, getting them out of that is kind of like getting a flywheel going. So it can take a lot of time. There's obviously a lot of trust involved too. And building those trust relationships takes time. You don't sell somebody trust, you earn it. And so getting them to trust that that vision and understanding of what security should be in my mind and in our mind at Coalfire, then uh, you know that takes a little bit of time and a little bit of, of coaching. So now, how did you find security? Before we talk about going all in <laughs> on it, maybe we should back up a little bit and say, when do you... When you cast your mind back to the things, you know, the formative years, whatever period that is, when did you first find security? When did it find you? I didn't know I found security at the time. I was always very much, you know, into the computers and whatnot when I was, when I was uh, growing up in the, you know, in high school in the 90s. I didn't realize it at the time, but thinking back on it, it totally makes sense. Uh, my mom was uh, very much against me watching, I was watching TV, me and my, my two younger sisters. Uh-oh. So she used to take... Yeah. She used to take the, the coax cable out of the back of the television and take it with her to PTA meetings. So obviously we figured out how to rewire the TV so that it would get the cable anyway. And then... Yeah, yeah. Well, well done. Yeah, yeah. And when we had the garage door opener, you know, going, you you know, put the wires back where they belong and you run upstairs and pretend like nothing happened. She became wise to that and eventually bought a TV that had a passcode on it. Cutting edge, 25-inch Mitsubishi. And she would set a pin and, you know, a typical hacker, you know, you're going to go brute force the uh, brute force the code. So we would do that. We would then get a little bit cocky and change the code. So that got a little old and, and takes a lot of time, right? That whole brute forcing it to have a rainbow table to use against it. Um, oh, so, Four digit pin. I can't <laughs> imagine the number space was that big. Well, or was it more? Was it yeah, more? but when you when all you have is a TV remote control to punch <laughs> in, you know, 10,000 combinations... Yeah. And you only have a certain period of time to do it in. It became tiring. And so, you know, hacking, path of least resistance, try to find your way around the rules. I decided time to learn cable splicing. <laughs> so I went outside and I, I rode my bike to Egghead Software. I bought a TV tuner. I remember card. I, yeah. 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 That's where I got my copy of Windows 95 from. And uh, I got, I uh, went to Radio Shack, uh, all the old stores right now, and uh, got myself a uh, cable crimper and some coax heads. I spliced the cable. I ran it up to my room and I uh, then had cable TV in my room for two years without my mom knowing it, uh, which I revealed to her when I graduated from high school. So that was the, you know, the mindset, right? You talk about attitude and aptitude and skill. You must have been your siblings heroes. Did you have siblings who were benefiting from your, uh, your uh, ill-gotten skills? ill-gotten gains. (laughs) My two younger sisters certainly benefited from that. Although it was, I made an effort to make sure that they didn't, you know, ruin my fun. But then later on, you know, I went to college. I uh, was doing computer science. I didn't really love programming all that much. Uh, I got into computer networking. Um, and then eventually, when I graduated from college, went to go work for a company called SIAC, which was a technology arm for the American Stock Exchange and New York Stock Exchange. Mm-hmm. So I got to work on a lot of fun stuff, but I got kind of bored of it. And um, But I was sitting next to the pen testing team. Ah. And I had never... I mean, now, you really, have a, now you have a label for it, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And they were the pen testing team at the time. And that was the early, early 2000s. And so I would finish my work very quickly and then volunteer my time with them. That's where I met one of my 
longtime mentors, uh, Al Berg, who eventually brought me over to a company called LiquidNet. But I realized in my time in pen testing that it's more art than science and I'm not an artist. And so when I went to LiquidNet, really did like the full 10 domains of security, bug sweeping and physical security and policy and uh, all security operations, security engineering and all those things. I really got to explore it then, but really it was kind of that, that first foray into pen testing that, that got me into the, into the industry. That's awesome. And so now you're at college. What did you study there? Was it a technical field or? Uh... Yeah, it was computer science in a liberal arts college. So I did an entire, I almost minored in, in film, took a uh, favorite class was uh, Kubrick and Scorsese. That was a, a great class. But yeah, uh, computer science. And um, do you think the liberal arts, looking back, obviously you don't know what other paths would have been like that you would have taken, but mm-hmm. uh, do you feel that the liberal arts part of your degree helped? Did it, has it informed how you look at security or how, for instance, right now, you, if I can speak somebody who's known you for a while, you seem to have a, a high EQ and a high IQ, high technical skills and high soft skills. Was that something you had before or did the college help reinforce it? Did, did the liberal arts background bring you something that helped with security? I think it definitely helps. I actually call security the liberal arts of of business because oh. you have to work across every component of a business. And so I, like that. Uh, I think it liberal arts kind of teaches you how to think about a broad set of problems versus they quote unquote teach you how to think as opposed to focusing purely on a technical problem. And security is really a people problem with technology elements or some technology controls but for the most part, it's a people problem. I think it, it's definitely helped a lot. Yeah, to some degree, we come up through the ranks to get to CISO. And we've had to be technically the smartest person in the room sometimes, or we've had to really buckle down on the technical skills. And then suddenly, it's a social job. Like mm-hmm. Our job is to provide the air cover and give logistics, but also to build the alliances and to bring in the context to the, from the rest of the company and to bring us to the rest of the company. Yeah, and that's kind of unfair. So... Unless you happen to have mm-hmm. it as a God-given gift or unless you picked it up somewhere along the way, it's got to be a struggle. Do you run into to CISOs for whom they've never seen it that way or they, they really need the toolkit? I mean, I think we all have to work on different areas of, of ourselves. I think the biggest thing is for CISOs to be aware of the fact that that's important. I think a lot of us get brought in as security leaders because we're the best technical security person. And because the business doesn't understand the fact that security isn't just a technical problem. Some people don't see past that and stay purely as security in the technical track. And others, you know, learn to appreciate the fact that it's uh, that it is in fact very interdisciplinary and kind of flex those muscles in different directions. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a, there's a mix. I think it's unfair that executives don't necessarily all understand the complexities of security. Um, I'd love to see MBA programs get some insight into that. I think it would help them, you know, business leaders on the whole understand that. But I think on the, you know, I would say more than half of security leaders out there come up through the technical ranks, like you said, and sometimes stay there. And I think that's one of those areas we need to grow in. I remember saying back in the old days how first we didn't have security degrees and then we had no real cross-disciplinary work. But I can't see into the MBA programs out there. I do see a lot of academic institutions doing now either serious research or collaboration between security and every other department. There are people who are looking at working with people working on their MBAs. I can't speak at it 
to it from the MBA side, but I'm often talking to the security academics who do that. That's got to be a positive, right, going forward. When you're called in, is it that your customers are doing a let's do security better as an organization kind of project? Or is it, I don't know Cold Fire's core business, is it usually something bigger that's going on of which security is a, is, is a component? So Cold Fire has its, its roots in the last 20 years focused on, they started on the compliance side, right? So all the SOC 2 and, and that type of thing. Yep. Uh, HIPAA, high trust, FedRAMP, and then have over the course of the last you know five to seven years really grown out kind of the risk advisory, pen testing, security engineering uh, sides of the business. So a lot of times our customers are really coming in and asking for a point saying, hey, I just need a pen test. And so you know part of the mission is really to think more programmatically, right? I think we as an industry are not really doing a business the favor or or CISO a favor of just coming in and doing a pen test and lobbing a report over the wall and saying, here you go, go patch these vulnerabilities. Mm. I think all in all, it's very myopic. And, you know, we as, a, as an industry aren't delivering value if we come back and find the same vulnerabilities over and over again because they're rooted in a more systemic problem, right? Yeah. So things like... Yeah, it feels like bayonets are wounded. Yeah, you're just coming in and saying, and, yep, still the same problem. Exactly. I mean, if you sleep on a bed of spikes and I tell you you have band-aids, you have to be able to put band-aids on your back and you go lay down the bed of spikes again, I'll come back again with more band-aids. You know, you have to really think about what is the root cause of these vulnerabilities. You have bad asset management. Are you not really taking a look at the results? Things like that. So there's that component. And then there's, you know, uh, just generally thinking more strategically. And I think on the whole, we get brought in uh, more from a hey, we need this narrow scope thing done. But when we start asking the questions why, that's when you start kind of getting into the more interesting conversations that then lead to, oh, hey, here's a strategic area where we could actually provide assistance and that'll actually help grow your business. And that's when you start speaking to higher level folks within the organization that start you know, kind of seeing the, the opportunity. Yeah, I always hate when, uh, when I get to a room and someone says, uh, oh, you know, my peers have suddenly discovered this thing called red teaming and they think it's a way to test. Yeah, right. Right. I, I, and so I, I remember I did a favor for a CISO friend. I was talking to the CIO. I said, well, it's not a very good way to test the security department. He said, really? I said, yeah, it'd be like if I gave you one play in a basketball game and asked you who won the game, <laughs> you know, who was the better team or who won the championship. Uh, you know, you don't have enough data. And ideally, exactly. it should be you know, conflict-based anyway. It's got to be part of a bigger, a bigger frame. Let's shift gears a little bit. So let's get a picture of Nick outside the office uh, and then we'll bring it back in. Do, do you have any hobbies uh, that you, you pursue? You and I have never really discussed it. We, we both have families and we've talked to kids in the past, but uh, when you're Nick and you let your hair down, it's short hair, but you know what I mean. Uh, what do you like to do? I love to tinker around. I mean, that's one thing, right? Uh, you still automation. Is, that, is that like a thing? Am I still what? You still hacking cable for people? I'm not hacking cable for people. I, I do, you know, we're in the middle of a massive home remodel. And the only thing I can look forward to right now is all the home automation I'm going to do and all the Cat 6 and speaker wires I'm going to run. So I enjoy that. I play ice hockey. I'm a goalie. Uh, I used to coach, which I really loved. I was really hoping my daughters would get into it, but they're not. Hmm. Um, so I'll have to wait till they're older to get back into it again. Um, uh, but I still I'd play. I'd love to hear you still, you still play hockey though, because all Canadians should, right? That's how that's we... right. And I'm missing teeth, but it's nice. It's just from bad genetics. I like to pretend it's from playing hockey. 
so there's that and I love scuba diving. Um, I think it's a really meditative. What else are you going to do when the ice melts, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's like making lemonade with lemons, but it's, there are two activities that are actually very meditative as a hockey goalie. The only thing you can think about is that puck in front of you and the problems of the world melt away. And scuba diving is a lot the same thing. You focus on your breathing and you're kind of observing the world around you. So in a way they're, they're somewhat similar though. I think most would have trouble finding that similarity. I can see it for scuba, but as somebody who plays who plays and has played hockey for a long time, I don't find it very meditative. That just might be I'm usually too out of breath and too out of shape. Uh, <laughs> but scuba, I've never done, but I could imagine you, you know you hear your breathing and the light changes and, it, and it's sensory very different. Do you, mm-hmm. do you feel that any of that comes back into security? Are those just like other ways used to get away, escapist, or do you bring some of that meditative focus on breathing into any security scenarios or situations? So it's a really interesting question, you know, now, now I'm thinking about it. I mean, I think, you know, I personally have, and I don't know if this comes from the liberal arts, if this comes from, you know, my own personality or if it's manifested in kind of the activities that I choose, but it's that ability to take a step back and ask the question no one else is asking, right? You know, I, I'll never be the most technical person, but I guess I have the enough skills to ask the questions that others might not be asking to lead to that aha moment. And some of that is kind of that meditative, you know, focusing on, on the right things. And some of that might be the liberal arts side. But I think that's kind of one of those knacks that I've had in the past, both as a CIO and as a CISO, you know, that I've really found useful. I find the dichotomy between both being literally underwater and not, not <laughs> except visually and this notion of meditation at odds with what we first talked about, which is that it is a social thing. So mm-hmm. it might be that you find your center in one and then you sort of find clarity and can then take it to others. Am I inferring too much or does that sound right? I think that sounds right. I mean, I definitely, I, there has to be that balance between being around others and being with oneself, right? And really understanding, you know, what drives you and what makes you happy. You know, I think that's, you know, as a leader, you want that for your people as well, right? I usually maintain this 80-20 rule where you have to spend 80% of the time doing things you love doing and 20% of the time there's just stuff that you just have to do. And for me, those meditative things might be somewhere inside that 80% to help ground me. But yeah. So I have to ask about your sisters, by the way. Mm -hmm. You brought them up earlier. They watched you hacking and you gave them this amazing childhood experience watching television while your parents were out or your mom was out. Did either of them go into hacking? They did not. I have one sister who's in Manchester, England, uh, leveraging that EU passport, uh, who's a teacher and a, and a therapist. And I have the other, my other sister is uh, a real estate agent in Boise, Idaho. And my mom's in Montreal, wow. so we're scattered to the wind. But they are very handy. And I think the key is that, you know, none of us are afraid of trying something and having it fail because we know that we can always just call someone to come fix it in the end, right? But if we succeed, we will have learned something. And I think that is very much a hacker mentality. It very much is. It's a good approach to life in general. Now, I wish I could ask something that would embarrass you here with them, but I, I know <laughs> your background well enough with that. We're approaching the end of our time, so I've only got a, a few more questions. Um, my first question for you is, as we approach the, uh, the end of the, uh, the session, do you have any advice for younger people? I know you, you've seen what the security, call it career, can produce. And you see the challenges that people get into as they start to try to navigate the business and not just the silo of security. Do you have any advice for anybody thinking to get into it or thinking of moving up? Anything you would say to that younger person or that person who's maybe uh, going through a change of career? 
So I would say a few things. One is security, the security uh, industry and field is, there's no ladder, it's a jungle gym. There's something for everyone, uh, whether that's GRC, whether that's pen testing, whether that's engineering, whether that's operations, forensics and incident response, there's something in there for everyone. So don't pigeonhole yourself. If you're not loving what you do, there will be something that you love doing. To that end, don't get stuck doing something you hate doing because there's always someone who loves doing that thing. So I don't, I'm not particularly fond of writing policies, for example, but there are people that love that mm-hmm. and they will do it well. So that's both a moving up advice as well as a general career is find people that love doing each one of those things. And I think the last thing is that just know that security is broad and has to enable the business. We can't be in the business of telling people they can't do things. We have to think of how they can get it done because if you don't, they're going to do it without you. And then you're in a really bad situation. Right. I got two more questions for you. The first is, I know you like to read uh, uh, in particular nonfiction and sort of ways of, of spending almost self-analytics through sort of questioning from the books that you read. Do you have any, any books you'd advise for a security audience, for those listening? Anything that has struck you as particularly insightful in how you do security? I mean, I think, you know, I, I actually really enjoyed like the five levels of leadership as a book that isn't necessarily about the security field, but it's about, you know, the types of people you have around you and where you find mentorship and how you, you look at yourself grow. Because I think we all need to, to think that way. You know, so I do enjoy a lot of the books where it's kind of like, hey, how do I introspect and in general kind of, you know, grow myself? And I think those types of things are really important to understand who are the people around you that are going to they're going to help you see the bigger picture and help you progress. And I had to say I lied when I said there were two questions because I just realized I never actually asked you, when did you go all in on security or when did it go all in on you? Was there a moment where the chips were on the table and you said, now I'm in it and you turned around and said someone, I'm a security person. Do you know when that happened? <laughs> well, I'd like to say while well, I was a CIO, <laughs> which was my most recent job before. I always, I think I, I knew I loved security when I was uh, I was working at LiquidNet, and I, I got to do everything, like I said, everything from bug sweeping to policy and compliance work, and and really appreciate the breadth of security, and really wanted to become excellent at it. Um, part of the goal of being a CIO was to understand the tension between CISOs and technology leaders, and so in that job really reinforced the fact that I am a security professional and that's really what I love doing. And I was so happy to come back. Cool. And now my really last question, if I did a poker game, which again, I, for some reason I never didn't bring poker up on, on this podcast, but would you be interested in playing with other guests that I've had on security all in? Would, would you come out and deal some cards and play a few hands with us? I would without a doubt do it. I, as you uh, said, it would probably just be a few hands because I'm really relying more on luck than anything else when I'm playing poker, and I'd be there more for the conversation and the drinks. You know, I find it hard to believe that on almost every podcast that I, I ask that question, almost everyone's like, well, I'm not really that good. And <laughs> no, by all means, you can come and take my money. I, I, think, I think it'd be more cutthroat than you or my other guests are, are letting on. But anyway, Nick, thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and I can't wait to see you again, and, and thank you. Thank you very much, Sam, for having me.